Welcome to A Time to Thrill, episode 19. This month, we're featuring USA Today bestselling author, Brenna Aubrey. Um, I'm super excited to share this with you. So, Brenna Aubrey, oh my god, I met her, and I'm so bad at this. Let's just say somewhere in the five to ten years ago range, probably like six or seven, that sounds about right. Um, maybe longer COVID, man. But Brenna is um, this blockbuster selling author of a series called At Any Price. And it's it was it was such a huge sensation. I can't even tell you. She was there. I don't know how far at the beginning of the indie game. Maybe this book, I'll have to look it up um, at any price. Maybe it was like 2014, 2015. That sounds about right. And which means now I've known her along closer to the 10 year range. And it's a book. It's, it's actually, it's a book about a girl, um, Mia, who decides to auction off her virginity to pay for college, I think. It was a long time ago I read the book. Um, and the guy who wins the auction is a guy named Adam. It's Adam and Mia. They have a three-book arc. I read it. And um, this book like flew off the virtual shelves in a way that you can't believe. And I think Brenna may talk about this in the podcast, but I remember sitting next to her somewhere, some writers meeting or gathering, and she kept refreshing Kindle, and it was just like like thousands and thousands of sales. And it was just, um, it was having a front seat to that kind of phenomenon is amazing to watch. And she got a whole bunch of press. Um, a lot of influential bloggers talked about her and the book and the origins of the book. And it was one of the most interesting things I think I've ever seen in my human life. And, um, you know, you rarely see, and she's not an overnight sensation. I don't want to say that because she has written and published before this, but it's that same sort of sense where you meet people and they're like, they're an overnight sensation. And obviously they've worked hard before they became an overnight sensation. I mean, she had to write the book, she wrote a book before, um, she's existed in the romance space, but it was sort of, um, an amazing thing to, to watch, um, and to witness and one of the things that is interesting is a maturing of that kind of thing. So, you know, she wrote those three books and then some subsequent books, and we'll talk about this during the podcast, um, sort of maintaining momentum when you shoot up like a star is its own thing. I mean, I know people on both sides of this thing, either they start out like gangbusters and you have to maintain that momentum. And that's like a lot of not only work, but like psychic and emotional energy. And then people who start out small and get big and also still then have to uh, sort of cope with that. And it's a really interesting place to be dealing with massive success. But I think it'll be an interesting talk because we rarely sort of delve into what that's like in a lot of people's careers. And I've known, well, I've lived here 20 years. So I've known people like pre-stardom and post. Um, and I'm going to be honest, the people don't change. But the circumstances around them change dramatically. And that is the interesting part. The other thing I do need to warn you about is that um, we were recording over the internet. And um, the call 
call. It's not really a call, but the it dropped off a couple of times. Um, somebody in her house was you know, sucking up the internet and didn't tell her. So, because that's how it rolls. So um, there will be bridges where we go on and off and they'll have musical interludes. Um, so I just want to warn you in advance. Usually I don't have a break in any of my recordings, but there are in this. But it is such an interesting and fascinating interview, and I can't wait for you to hear everything that Brenna has to say. So without further ado, let's get to the interview. Ready, set, let's go. Hi, and welcome to Time to Thrill. This month, I have the great pleasure of speaking with USA Today bestselling author Brenner Aubrey. How are you, Brenna? I'm good. Thank you. I'm so, so happy to be here. No, it's so great. Well, it's so great to talk to you. I was going to say, and I haven't seen you in a long time, but that applies to everyone. It's just weird that I haven't seen a lot of people in over a year. I know it's crazy. And, and it's weird though, as we are going out and about and as things are starting to open up, I start thinking of last year as 2019 and I exactly realize <laughs> no, it's, it's actually almost two years ago and it's kind of crazy. It's like we lost a year in there somewhere. It's so true. So I, a friend of mine, actually, he just sent me a picture of his bicycle. He was biking somewhere and he was showing me actually the background. And I was like, oh, there's your new bike. And he's like, I bought the bike in September of 2019. And I thought, but I last saw him in August. So, <laughs> so to me, the bike is new. And he's like, I've had the bike nearly two years. It's so and I was weird, like, isn't it? We're just it is. We're time vortex now where we've lost this chunk of it time. Is. Because the exact last conversation I had with him in person was, oh, I'm so looking forward to seeing your new bike. <laughs> and, and then it was just, it's, I have a lot of awkward conversations where I have to pause and I'm like, so you remember, and it's a long time ago. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I'll ask you first, how was the pandemic for you uh, creatively? Um, some people, well, thrived. I'm not one of them, but other people, not so much. Um, you know, it was a weird experience that that first, those first couple months, I was kind of right there with everybody kind of on doom scroll constantly. Um, it was already going to be a bad year because, you know, it was election year and I right. usually try to tune out at least the early part of election year because I just don't, you know, until, wow. until the primaries, you know, and all that, I don't want to go into, into <laughs> politics but I'm just saying so I was kind of already expecting it but then and then this happened and for the first few months I was just kind of that in that same mode and then there's somewhere that I just said I, I I decided that for my own mental health I just kind of need to disconnect mm-hmm. and I just kind of I, I guess I kind of did it a little subconsciously too is I just kind of ended up creating a little haven for myself here uh, in my house and my backyard and whatnot, I started spending more time out there gardening and just kind of making it a nice space. And then once I had this lovely space set up, it became so much easier to be able to sit down and go back to writing. Um, And it's weird. It's because it's almost like I figured it out by accident that that is, that was the problem I was having because I'd been having some creative block issues before that. Mm-hmm. And I think it was just the fact that I didn't have my own little space carved out to be able to just kind of 
a, a nice, a pretty space, you know, someplace right. where I could just kind of feel good about myself. So I did a lot of decluttering and stuff at the earlier, I guess, cause I felt like I needed to do something, you know, like we all did right. and yet we're all stuck at home. So I was furiously decluttering and in the process, I kind of created this nice space for myself and it was easier to be able to get back into creating. So it ended up being a good year towards the end of 2020 and into 2021, as far as being able to get things done. Uh, I got a few books out, which I hadn't gotten out a book since 2018. So it, okay. it was a good, it ended up being good for me. That's good. Yeah, that's so great. So pre- before that, did you, I feel like you had an office, but were you writing in the garage? No, you had some space that you were writing. Right. Um, I had a rented office that I'd rented with another author. And that's right. As, I remember yeah. this now. Sorry. <laughs> no worries. No worries. I, yes. We, I remember we the conversation. space together for a few years, but then once the pandemic hit and there were other issues with, you know, uh, obviously her not being able to make it out to the pan. I was much closer to the office than she was. And so, you know, during the pandemic, she didn't really feel comfortable going to that space, which I totally understand because of the Mm -hmm. shared, you know, atmosphere there. And we were right next to a dance studio and they were still open for some crazy reason. Wow. I know. I know we were, we were not happy about that. So we just decided to let it go besides, you know, just the pandemic in and of itself. We just thought, okay, it's, it's not a good thing, but it ended up being good because that that kind of forced me to create a space here that I'd never had, mm-hmm. and it's actually working out a lot better for me. That's great. I I remember now the whole thing because she lives up here. Because and now I got it. So I'm sorry. I'm just mm-hmm. all the things I forget over the last year and a half. It's astounding <laughs> <No>. <laughs> because I remember having the conversation with you at some restaurant, but yeah. just now. <laughs> And you know what? There's absolutely, you know, we all can claim pandemic brain, you know, a lot of, a lot has happened in the last year and yet not much has happened at the same exactly. time. It's so weird. So what, okay. Um, I have a lot of questions. So what, what did you release in the last year? Um, because I haven't, so I'm to be, I'm going to be frank. I haven't read fiction a lot recently um, just because it's not, for some reason, before the pandemic, fiction was an escape, but during the pandemic, it didn't feel that way. Mm-hmm. So I've been reading mostly nonfiction. Oh, um, well, I totally get that. And and also, too, I mean, I don't know about you, but I have to do a lot of nonfiction reading just for research for my books. I find myself gravitating towards different subject matters, just depending on the book I'm writing at the time, you know? <sighs> okay, I'll have to ask you about that, because I do the research. So... <laughs> nothing anything that it otherwise it's a job so um so are you still okay so in oh my god 2020 because now it's 2021 did you release more gaming the system books yes i did i actually had not released a gaming the system book since 2017 i had taken a break to go work on another um i released in 2017 i released uh, the wedding book for my main couple and then Adam I'd and also Mia, right? Yeah. yeah, Adam and Mia. And then I also re- released the prequel that I'd been serializing for my newsletter subscribers. Oh, and okay. then I broke away and did started a new um, a new uh, series called Point of No Return, and that was about uh, a SpaceX type com- company. And then the the heroes of that of that series are astronauts who fly for that 
SpaceX type company called X Venture. And um, so I, I wanted astronaut heroes, but I didn't necessarily want them to be working for NASA. So I, mm-hmm. I kind of wanted something newer, new and sexier. And SpaceX was in the news around the time that Elon Musk launched his uh, Tesla into orbit, if you recall right. that. Yes. <laughs> that story. I had just been so fascinated with the Martian and I kind of wanted to write like Mark Watney's love story, but obviously I, I could not write it Mark Watney. So I thought, okay, I'll do right. my own astronaut. And um, anyway, so I broke away and did those two books and that actually was very research intensive. And I think I also kind of was hitting some personal snags in my personal life and things. So I think uh, my process slowed down a lot, took me about a year and a half to get that out. And then after that, I had, I was having a lot of creative issues. And so by the time I got back, I, I mean, I immediately started the next Game of the System book because a lot of people were really asking about it. that book. Yeah, yeah. I had a, like a cliffhanger at the end of the wedding book for the next heroine. You know, she gets stuck at the airport in immigration. She's Canadian. She's working in the com- country illegally. Uh-huh. And she's caught by immigration. And that's kind of, that's the cliffy. Everyone was dying to find out what happens to this character. Right. And um, so I had, I had to kept my readers waiting for like three years. And so I was really feeling the pressure. I didn't get a book out in 2019 at all. Uh-huh. And um, so 2020 came and then I hit that kind of creative rejuvenation there towards the summer about this time last year and I was able to kind of wrap that book up but it was a long book and then right after that I I just you know I wanted a to do something short and sweet and and something kind of a gimme to my readers a feel-good book because of the year we've had right and also wanted something to kind of boost my confidence to let me know that I could get a book out fast and so mm-hmm. I kind of wrote a, I took my four couples from the Game of the System series and I had them all in this luxury mountain chalet where they were all on the ski vacation together. And I gave them each a little cute little storyline for each couple. Okay. And kind of did it like a, kind of like Love Actually, you know, that movie where they kind yes. of between all the couples. Mm-hmm. So I did it that way. And it was really fun because I was able to, um, I knew I wanted it to be about 60,000 words. I gave each couple like 12,000 words and I just wrote each story separately so I was able to actually get them out rather quickly and then I took and kind of rearranged the chapters so that I could tell the story in a way that wouldn't be confusing okay that's a good idea I mean that's I'm did readers love it because that's they uh they often ask for things like that and I do not deliver them yes (laughs) they they were really happy the only snag I hit with that one (laughs) was out of my control I wanted it out uh right around New Year's because it takes place on New Year's it's it's Adam and Mia's first anniversary they were married on New Year's Eve Mm -hmm. so I wanted it out kind of for that and and then I got COVID (laughs) (laughs) Oh. <laughs> just random we'd been so careful I mean I, in fact I barely ever left home it was my husband doing all of the shopping he was the one going out and doing it going out in the world and he, even he was super careful always wearing gloves and everything I'm not gloves um a mask and mm-hmm. always using a hand sanitizer and everything and so anyway long story short right right after thanks right around Thanksgiving we all 
caught COVID. And so that put a snag in my plans. Fortunately, Amazon was understanding and let me move back my pre-order. I was, but, well, um, that's, I mean, legitimately, like, what are you going to, I mean, what are yeah, you going to exactly. do? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it was a little over a month late, but that's okay. Um, they still ended up really, really liking it a lot. It was just a cute, feel good, uh, you know, low stakes story, but just some time you spent, you know, you, you know how you, you, you read characters, you love them, you want to spend a little bit more time with them. And mm-hmm, yes. that was just kind of a gimme for my readers and they seem to enjoy it a lot. So It reminds me a little, I don't know, like Julia Quinn years ago uh, used to talk about her second epilogue, which at the time was only available on her website. I have no idea now, but it was sort of that idea where you could give readers that here's your, here, here are 10,000 more words in that world. Um, And to give people that time. So I usually call it babies ever after, but not that there have to be babies, but just that sort of sense where people, because I get the emails, what happened to, and um, I am not the best at fulfilling that. (laughs) Those Mm -hmm. questions. I'll just leave it there. Mainly because as as an author, I'm not that interested in it. Um, But that's- I totally get that because as an author, you- the higher the stakes the story the better it is and the more exciting it is to write but in order yes. to raise the stakes you kind of have to you have to ruin the happily ever after you gave the characters so to right. go back into that world it seems almost like you have to ruin it yes you have to you know you have to set it on fire in order to right. you know fix it again and mm-hmm. that's hard i mean it's not how my brain works so i'm gonna ask you this because okay at once some at some point in some time i remember you emailed me some research question and i was like what you're thinking about the book before you write it like it just (laughs) this is before i took any becca time class or anything but it just blew my mind i was like wait she's thought about it like i don't and that's not an i'm a pantser so basically i just sit down every day and see what happens and the idea that you had thought about it ahead of time. Like, I'm sure I emailed you this. I was like, what, what's going on in your head? And you're like, well, I'm planning it out. I'm like, what does that mean? Like, I couldn't even conceive of what that meant. Um, But you do research as well. Although now that I hear astronauts, that clearly would involve research (laughs) since what I know about astronauts could fit in a thimble. Um, But what, okay, you plot. I know you, you plot, right? Well, I'm I'm a little bit of a hybrid. Uh, I'm I'm half plotter, half pantser. I mean, there's a certain point where I need to leave it open ended, so mm-hmm. that when I sit down to write, I can bring in a lot of new, fresh, and exciting stuff. But yes, I need to have the backbone there in order for me to proceed. And one of the things, first of all, I have to say, you were so helpful when I asked you all those questions. They were legal questions, and you have your background in law mm-hmm. and especially in your specialty. Um, I was writing the the wedding book that I mentioned with my hero, hero and heroine, Adam and Mia, they were going to get married. And so I had to sit down and think, okay, first of all, I'd already put this car- couple through the ringer because I wrote a trilogy about them. And right. as aforementioned, I gave them a happy for now at the end of the first book. And then I, immediately took it away from them and tortured them for the next two books right right so I didn't want to do that again but I wanted to be able to approach it from a okay I want to I want them working together to overcome some kind of external issues and I so I sat down I thought okay what we have this young man he's been extremely successful he's kind of like a uh 
a young Zuckerberg. I mean, not right. not in any other way. Not besides, in personality, you know, but yeah. Yeah, exactly. Not in any other way besides <laughs> he had just had a lot of success at a very young age. Right. And so I I wanted to know what what would be the barriers, uh, what would be the challenges to marrying someone like that? And one of the things, one of the things that kind of turned me on to asking you more questions was I had read an article about Elon Musk and it was actually written by his first wife, Justine oh. Musk. And she had talked okay. a lot about when they first got married, he, she had had to sign a postnup because his board of directors kind of forced the issue. Oh, okay. Wow. And, okay. and so I thought, Oh, that's an interesting conflict. What if, what if, you know, what if the, because because I'd already written a book, my my second hero, my secondary hero and heroine is the CFO of that same company. Right. And their whole book is about him taking the company public and him having to put put out the fires of this scandal that he inadvertently had caused. It was a right. sex leak that had gone viral that he was in, but nobody knew it was him. And so he's trying to keep that secret while also trying to take the company public which was his lifelong dream. Uh So anyway, um, the company had gone public. And so I wanted, so I thought, okay, wouldn't this be interesting? What if the company, the board of directors are saying, you've got to have this prenup before you get married and he doesn't want to, and he's fighting it. Uh So then I reached out to you because I knew about your legal um, specialties and I knew you'd be perfect to ask these questions and that's a wonderful thing i love about this community we have so many smart professional women with such great backgrounds i mean it's amazing (laughs) exactly i mean i I can i can throw a a rock in the romance community and i will hit a lawyer of some special (laughs) or or even you know doctors scientists i mean it's amazing how many smart smart women we have in our community Mm. it's it's really really heartwarming I feel like really one of the dummies compared to the rest of you but anyway um I knew why you know so I asked you a bunch of questions and you gave me a ton more ideas I don't know if you know this or not because I didn't I don't know how back and forth we went with it but you gave me a ton of great ideas for additional conflicts like for example I wanted him to be fighting having to do the prenup because he doesn't like the message it sends to his soon to be wife that that he's kind of almost banking on getting divorced you know (laughs) you're right yeah yeah, you know because so we so the book uh, examined a lot of that you know what does it mean to have a prenup and and you brought in a lot of great ideas about how the prenuptial agreement is supposed to protect both parties Hi, this is Amy Austin, and I'm back with Brenna Aubrey. I, for some reason unknown to me, the <laughs> the uh, internet crapped out, and it took a minute to get the download. I didn't want to miss anything that Brenna had said because it's it, to me it's actually quite fascinating. So before the the recording crapped out, we were discussing the whole prenuptial agreement and what the conflict that it had caused um, in the third book, the third book. <laughs> of um that series yeah it was actually the fourth book (laughs) no worries but i as i was saying you know before it it was their wedding book and i kind of wanted to lower the stakes but i wanted to have them working through uh trust issues while facing this 
this issue of, you know, a prenuptial agreement and him being overprotective, not wanting to exposure to that. So he's fighting the board of directors as, so his conflict is he's fighting them. And anyway, in a long story short, it, it kind of ends up being a beautiful moment in the book when she finds out why he's so tense and worked up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she finds out that he's been trying to shield her from this. And she's like, of course I'll sign a prenuptial. It's fine. I totally get it. And so it was kind of almost this, moment for him of maybe I don't need to be so hyper protective all the time of her you know she is a strong woman she can stand up for herself and and that type of thing so um yeah so I mean the the great thing is I went into this information gathering phase which I do at the beginning of every book Mm -hmm. and when I was asking you all of these questions and gathering all of that info you were giving me all these great ideas for different scenes like so like, for example, the discovery phase, whether he has to divulge all his assets to her, I had some funny moments in that and, and, and things like that, that I hadn't considered because I didn't know that those were part of the process. Okay. Well, I'm glad I helped. I don't remember. I just remember. Okay. So the, my whole memory of it is she plans ahead. (laughs) That was my, that is what I got from it. I was like, how, how is she planning ahead? And, and I think that's what I asked you in the back and forth. I think I was just trying to figure out that you yeah. had thought about a book before you started writing it. <laughs> well, I think it's for, it's, I don't know if it's exactly planning, Amy, or if mm-hmm. it's, if it's just, I have to gather a ton of info in order to figure out what the story is going to do. You know what I mean? So oh, I need, you, know, okay. you know what I mean? I just, that's kind of what I was doing with you. I was, I was asking you a bunch of questions in order to kind of ferret out what I could do as far as the story. Okay. I'm going to say that I understand. So I have a character. Well, I have many characters and they all live in my head. It's kind of crowded in there, but I have one character who's unable to commit in this relationship or whatever. And I was driving cause that's, it's always driving or showering. Yes, I don't have ideas other times. And it's always something I'm like, look, I have no hands to do right. anything down. Right. Of course, it's always that way. And you, and you mm-hmm. have like this beautiful scene all composed in your head. And then you sit and, down right, like almost immediately after and you're like, blanking out I totally get it oh got it and I'm always like on the 405 or some freeway where it's just too dangerous to even contemplate something and um I think about it so I have a character who can't commit and I was driving um and I was thinking about what was what had happened to him and in my head I was like oh I think he was a victim of like the Catholic um priest abuse scandal but I know nothing about that so actually I went online and this is this is you, the thing you're talking about, the romance community, I sort of love. I just asked people, can you give me a bunch of resources to read about this? And people gave me a ton of stuff. And mm. I like photo, I mean, photocopied, I copy pasted everything. And then when I get a chance, because I'm packing, so I'm going to actually leave for the summer again. But when I get a chance, I'm going to read all about it. And that will inform the story because I don't know. I have insufficient information about that entire world to write a book. Um mm-hmm. But and once somewhere I, in that, and somewhere in that research, you're going to find ideas for scenes that you can use or back, right. backstory memories, right. things like that. No, that's exactly how it happens. So basically, I read a lot about one topic um, and then mm-hmm. it, it percolates. But there's no, for me, no planning. It's not like, well, on day one, he's going to do X and on day two, you know, chapter two, he's going to do Y. That I can't uh, do without ruining what 
is the enjoyable part to me, which is finding out what happens. Right. And I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. Although recently with my recent troubles of, you know, creative blocks, I've, I've gone to maybe, uh, I give myself a skeleton plan mm-hmm. and that really has helped me as far as dra- drafting the first draft is giving myself at least a little bit of a roadmap of where the story is going and you know what nine times out of ten I'm I'm not going to follow that roadmap exactly because when right. I get down into the trenches of this of writing the scene things will go uh, different ways and I'll have a oh I, I I could have them do this or whatever mm-hmm. but um but so I'm a little bit more of a planner but I don't think I'm a classical planner Right. In I mean, there are some people who have outlines and yes. they, or they write scenes out of order um, that I struggle with. Um, there's some author yeah. who does that. I and she was like, that. oh, it's Courtney Milan. And she writes scenes out of order. And she's like, oh, I write the best scene that comes to mind first. And I was like, that's interesting. Um, that's yeah. interesting. I just don't get it. I mean, um, I have scenes in mind ahead of time, but I cannot write them until I get to the point in the story that leads up to it because who knows what dra- dramatic build you've had in before that, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And if, unless I know the character and who they are at that point in the story, I, I, I mean, I, you, I did that once. I, my, one of my very first books, I wrote the scenes like that all out of order and it ended up being such a huge mess and struggle for me. I was just like, there's no way I have to write them linear, linearly from now on. This is so interesting because I think that I was, having a conversation earlier today with an author and I think that we all have that moment where you try a couple of things and it's so painful to put the book together that you abandon it quickly and one of the pain points I had is I had a writing instructor when I first moved to California in 2001 and I was like trying to finish a book and she was like just have a messy first draft and I did that and it was the most painful thing I've ever had to fix in my life and I would never ever no I wouldn't wish it upon anyone like it was just it was so intellectually it's actually it's a book called judge the one we were talking about a little bit earlier um it took eight drafts i mean that's a whole many years to finish one book and it was just so painful that whole messy first draft i did appreciate her idea that you just need to finish it because i could rewrite the first chapters forever and ever and ever but the messiness was just torture and i will never write that way again so i've perfected a method that uh, let me say this is the least painful (laughs) (laughs) They're all painful, but yes, least painful is what we're going for when it comes to drafting. That's for sure. Just the least painful, the most, like the little, the, the what I can tolerate pain-wise on a daily basis is what I do writing-wise. Um, so I actually have a huge question for you about genre um, because you write, well, you've written many things, but um, including historical, but you write new adult and that a it didn't exist when I was a kid and it's, it, it became this huge sort of phenomenon. How do you feel about it now versus when you first started writing? Because I want to say, I just checked my Amazon, oh, uh, what do you call it? Whatever. You, I clicked on your books to see when I bought them. <laughs> and yeah, it feels like I closed the tab now because of the effort, problems we were having. But I feel like the first book I bought was 2013. Is that right? That was my first book at any price. And yeah, okay. that was marketed as New Adult, which was doing really big at that point. And it was... Mm in my opinion, a much different genre than it's morphed into. Um, I think 
it was at it was definitely 2013 2014 were the mm-hmm. boom years for yes. a new adult and then it started morphing into a lot of weird stuff uh people were were writing stepbrother books and calling them new adult and they oh, were writing okay. a lot of different and then dark romance kind kind of sprung out of that in in kind of as an offshoot mm-hmm. and so I guess I don't even try to really market my books as new adult now because I feel like what I write and what new adult is now is so different that I kind I call them contemporary romance however oh. with the caveat of I write dual POV and they're in each everything is in first person so I'm writing first person from the heroine and the hero's point of view so that's a little different because I think in general contemporary romance is third person or traditionally has been and I think that's morphing now there's a lot of first person contemporary romance out there so I feel like my books kind of fall more under the umbrella of contemporary romance even though my my uh all of my heroes and heroines for that series are in their twenties mm-hmm. for my astronaut series. They're in their thirties usually. So. Oh, so it's changed. Okay. That you answered all my, <laughs> like that's, these are all the thoughts I've had because so when I did look up and saw that I bought your first book in 2013, I had so many thoughts about my age. I was like, wow, time has passed. Like to me, it, it does feel like it was only like five years ago, but that's not true. And <laughs> okay. So there's also, also that, but I do remember that huge boom so there was a huge boom with ang- i would call it angsty college romance in a lot of yes. places yes. and that's my that is actually still my perception of new adult but when you did talk about the, i remember the stepbrother boom i remember it so well um there was so many it was so popular for mm-hmm. a, a moment and then also the dark romance a lot of kidnapped 20 year olds yes uh, the, the heroes committed murder and the heroine witnessed it mm-hmm. um and for me as a reader that was something altogether different because I was looking for more like the kind of books you wrote or like Serena Bowen um, and those kind of like college angsty romances. Like that's because I like angst and it seems like 20 year olds have a lot of angst. Yes. <laughs> um, so I really enjoyed that. But the spinoff, I didn't read the stepbrother romances because I didn't quite get it. I mean, it's cute, but I don't get it. And then the dark romance, I, it was hard for me. Um, it was hard because it reminded me a little bit of the 70s and 80s with, well, did you kidnap her? And now you're going to, and I was like, this yeah. is like a Luke and Laura plot. I was like, I don't know. But how mm-hmm. does it feel to have then, well, because astronauts can't be 22. Well, I guess they could be. I don't know. But <laughs> I didn't think about that. But it's a lot of education and training. <laughs> yes, yes. So how does it feel to write people in their 30s? Because actually it's my favorite age. I mean, it's my favorite age to write. Um, you know it was it was nice to write people a little bit more established now my heroine for that first the first um actually that series is a duet series so all the stories are told in duet Mm because I tend to write long and Mm -hmm. and I was writing those really long uh, especially that those first two books because I was introducing this series so um, I split them into two I gave them a happy for now at the end of the first book and then I kind of concluded the the story they have a different, you know, thing now that they realize they're in love and they love each other, there's a different thing they have to face in the second book and then they get their happily ever after. But um, the hero is like, she's still rather young. She's fresh out of college, but she has a PhD. So she's in late twenties and he's late thirties. 
mm-hmm. and he's got a lot of experience and backstory under his belt. It was very interesting to deal with a hero that had had more life experience mm-hmm. and had been out in the world and done things, especially someone as he, he was actually a Navy SEAL before he became an astronaut. There's a, and that, that follows a lot of precedent. There are a couple of astronauts who started out as Navy SEALs. This mm-hmm. is kind of my segue into the military romance genre. I kind of wanted to write wow. in that genre, okay. but I thought, well, I'll do it a little different. I'll put my geeky spin on it and I'll make them astronauts. Right. Even though they're still in the military. So that's kind of how I was going about that series. But, um, but of course, because of all of that, they have to have this body of experience that made them older. And it was nice to explore that because, you know, in your thirties, you're, you've had these life experiences, but now is the time where you're like, okay, enough is enough, enough goofing around. I want, and that's, that was my, uh, character's deep desire. My hero's deep desire is he wanted a family. He wanted to be long. He wanted to settle down, even though he'd been this crazy womanizer and he's going through some trauma because he lost his best friend. I wrote mm-hmm. that in the very first uh, chapter where his best friend dies and it's, and he feels very responsible for it. Right. And um, so he's had this trauma, but I, and, and he's, and he's soothing it in so many unhealthy ways <laughs> deep down his greatest so, desire is he wants to, you know, settle down and have a family and, and, but he feels like he doesn't deserve it because of, you know, he, he left his friend behind mm-hmm. and his friends, did have a family and so he feels like he doesn't deserve that even though that's what he wants so he's he's solving that issue in whereas it was always it's always hard for me in the game in the system series with the younger heroes and heroines mm-hmm. um to write the happily ever after at that their, at their young yeah. age right even though they found love i don't ever really tie it up with them getting married Right. Uh, you know, it's just, okay, we found love. We're, we love each other. We're going to be together. And that's usually how I end it. And I know a lot of my readers are like, where's the epilogue? But I don't feel like I can write the epilogue. I kind of have to, in my mind, have them age up a little before they find that mm-hmm. place where they can get to. Um, and I, yeah. I don't know, maybe it's my own. I got married in my late 20s. So I didn't get my happily ever after until I was a little older either. So I, I don't know. Maybe maybe that's part of it. Okay, so I'm back on with Brenna Aubrey. Don't don't ask what happened. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I'll explain later. But one of the things that you hit upon with the happy for now and new adult is the fundamental problem I sometimes have with new adults. So there's two issues. One is, um, you know, author Maggie Marr. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, a few weeks ago, she recommended I read a book called The Teenage Brain. And it's this fascinating sort of look at why people like 25 and under make the kind of decisions they do, which, you know, to an older person look just insane. Um, But it's a lot of the brain not being fully formed until we're in our mid 20s. So I get that difficulty in having characters make these lifelong decisions before they are fully mature, I guess, would be fair enough. Um, But that's also... Yeah, it's also one of the hardest things I sometimes have with new adult because part of me sometimes wants to shake the characters and go, yes. oh my God, in 10 years, this is not going to be a problem. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's true that the re- it's almost a dual-edged sword in that that age group is fun to write about because everything is so intense. It but is. But on the yes. other hand, everything is so intense. That, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. So I totally get what you're saying. 
that's exactly that that encapsulates it exactly so i read it because there's because the intensity is so high i mean when you're flooded with like hormones and you have more time than i do then mm-hmm. you can like really like delve down deeply into all those feelings but in the alternative from up here you know at this top level now at my age i'm like eh, you know <laughs> yeah kind of over over the whole kid thing it's it's so immature blah 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 and I definitely as I wrote the series, my stories progressively became a little bit more mature as I was kind of backing away from that. So I had Adam and Mia that were kind of in the thick of things and everything was so tumultuous with them. And as I progressed with my, with my couples, even though they're around the same age, I just, I don't know, maybe it was my own impatience with it. Maybe it was the fact that I was changing a little bit how I was marketing the books because I felt like I wasn't really writing traditional classic new adult at that point. Right. That I kind of was transitioning my books into being more uh, contemporary that, you know, that I shifted because of that. I don't know. I can't tell you. It's probably both. Yes. And so, but I think um, one of the things actually from this podcast I've learned is that authors grow and change and um, whether readers come along is a whole different conversation, but we all mature as writers Mm -hmm. and sometimes as artists shift what we're doing from what we did in the beginning um, because you're not the same person that you were in 2012 or 2013. Exactly. Um, So so true. And your writing changes and progresses and the things that interest you and, and kind of set you on fire are different too, I think. Yes. And so it's interesting um, to watch authors progress. There's some authors I read every single book and sometimes I like the progression. I'm like, oh, she's delved more into X or she's delved more into Y. But then I sometimes read reviews after I read a book and a lot of readers are like, but I just want the thing I got in book one and she's now yeah. in book 15. And I... I, I get both. I get both. So either, I mean, and I think there's other authors who can serve both. I think there's some authors who are very able to consistently masterfully give a similar experience time and again. And there are other authors who give a different experience, not unsatisfying in any way, but not the same. It, it's, and I, it's a delicate balance. Another one of those delicate balances, as we say, because um, I, I read an interesting post in an author group talking almost exactly about what you just mentioned about how, how uh, readers say they want the same thing. And a lot of times readers will come back to you and say, I want more from this couple. And we as authors interpret that as, Oh, we've got to write more sequels because everybody's pounding down the door for sequels. Right. Or what they're really saying is I want more of the feeling I got when I read this couple. Yes. Um, the so the person who you know Jen LeBlanc she really solidified yeah. that for me we were talking about it one day just randomly and she was like they're not saying they want the same book she's like they're saying they want the same experience yeah and I was like oh <laughs> like it, it was a super helpful moment to realize they wanted the same emotional experience not more of Amy and Joe or whoever it is uh-huh um, yeah, so do you very wise advice <laughs> <laughs> okay, I had to reach out to someone for it as, as you were saying the romance community is full of people who can give you information yes. if you ask um, so are you now seeking to write a similar experience uh, yes actually I've I've um, I've I've 
brainstormed up a few uh, a new series idea that I want to do that's kind of a spin-off from gaming system. I kind of want to kind of put a cap an end cap on that. Maybe not a permanent end cap, but I mm-hmm. I would like to move on from my first series. It's very very successful and I'm very very happy with it, but there's only so far I can go with those characters. And I'd, I'd like to turn my attention to something new. So I'm kind of laying the groundwork now when I, as I write these last few books in the Gaming the System series, I'm laying the groundwork for kind of a spinoff uh, trilogy that I want to write. And exactly that, I kind of sat down and said, okay, what are what is it that I, when I get response from readers, uh-huh. when I get emails and reviews and whatever, what is it, what is the common denominator? What are they, what are they connecting with? And so I'm, I'm, kind of drafting it with two things in mind number one I have a couple germs of ideas like with the trope I want to go with right that I came up with on my own but I'm molding it to what I think the readers are wanting from me okay that's yes see that's so smart (laughs) I should do these (laughs) I no I'm really learning that there's more I perhaps one can put more thought into it um, going forward, because up until now, I've just been writing the books I want to write um, uh-huh. without a lot of thought at all. And even in 2020, it was such a an epiphany to write subsequent books in the same series. Like I usually just hop around based on how I thought, and then readers just have to wait. And I realized that that is not necessarily a um, smart way to go forward. <laughs> Let's just say that. <laughs> Um, well, so- you know, I think we learn a lot subconsciously too, you know, and I think when you say you didn't think things through, I think you did. You just weren't consciously aware of it. That's true. That is true. <laughs> it's, it was, so much of our lives are lived in our subconscious and that's one of the difficult parts. Let's just say that. Right. Um, so can I ask you this? And this is something I've always wondered. What you had a lot of success very early in the writing writing career. I know you wrote books before that because I know. But what? How did that affect what you were writing going forward? Because sometimes people, I don't want to say seem trapped by success because that is so not fair. But when you're really successful at something, you feel the compulsion to do more of that. That is a great. That's a really interesting question. I've never been asked that before, and it's something that I've wrestled with over the years. In fact, that's a little bit what caused my blockage there when I talked about that earlier in 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, I did have a lot of success earlier on, um, and my book came out with a, my first book came out with quite a lot of notoriety for good and bad. I blogged about my process towards publication. Self-publishing was still rather new and um, people were still finding their footing within it. And a lot of, and and it was just starting to be a respected path to publishing. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, And I had blogged about my process of turning down a traditional deal in order to do it my own way. And that kind of, it went viral and all of that kind of wound out together with that being said I had a really, really marketable book. So it was kind of a perfect storm and it, and it caused a lot of buzz around mm-hmm. my books and my series. And then it was huge. I mean, I'm going to be honest, it was huge. It was the thing that people were talking about. Yeah. A lot of all people, the time. 
<laughs> it's not true. kidding why <laughs> and i will still have people come up and say oh are you the same person that did that blog you know yeah but um but it was great but it was also it kind of set me on this path i don't want to say I, I felt entitled but like when i when i spun off and did a different series and i didn't get the kind of response that i did with my first one uh, because it was a, a a brand new series a brand new genre I kind of went into it stupidly thinking, oh, my readers will jump right on to this one too. So I'll have that and then I'll get some new readers. And without any awareness of the fact that a lot of readers have very, very strong series loyalty. They do. And very niche too. Exactly. So it isn't just about being author loyal, but sometimes they're also within the author, they're only going to read certain series. and, And so it was kind of this weird thing where I released these other books to they actually did well com- but compared to my other ones they it was crickets compared to right. compared to gaming the system and that kind of messed with me a lot because I thought well uh, you know and I don't it took me a little time to realize what it's all about and not take it personally not feel like I I peaked because mm-hmm. there was a bit of that too you know am I am I just going to be this one hit wonder type thing? Mm-hmm. Yes, so much. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. So there was a lot of questions in there about, you know, how do I proceed? And, and then there was a lot of expectations for this next gaming, the system book. So the more that people were bugging me and, and, and at that point I'd also translated into different languages. So the, the, mm-hmm. the, the books were taking off in the other languages too. And I was getting a lot of pressure from all these different, places to write this next book and so then it became oh I don't want to disappoint them and so uh, you know I I say a lot uh, writing is a head game and that definitely was a head game I I I actually am very very fortunate and a lot of the things that that helped launch gaming the system and Mm -hmm. make it such a huge sensation were almost a product of its time you know the fact that new adult was doing so well the fact that um uh self-publishing was just taking off and becoming Mm -hmm. a respected thing and that i blogged about my process and decided to be open about it all of these things were things that are not repeatable now obviously so um i mean that's the definition of zeitgeist i think um (laughs) i mean it just it it will i mean it, it is it's a confluence of events that are not necessarily repeatable Mm-hmm. Um, and exactly. that's, it is what it is. And it's something that you, you're hitting on something that authors, I mean, we all talk about this. So we write a lot of books, but we're all us. Like, it's like every book I've written is me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so sometimes when readers are like, but I want more of X, but I don't want more of Y. And I keep thinking, but they're all parts of me. Yeah. But I, I think I learned not to take it seriously. I went to a, 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 oh God, a, an author event years and years ago in Texas where there's, you know, a lot of romance readers. And at that point, I think I realized that readers were much more niche readers than I had ever been. Mm-hmm. So there were some people like, well, I only like motorcycle romance. And I thought, oh, okay. And so, <laughs> you know, and they would say, I was like, okay, so like, so I'm not going to buy your book. And I was like, okay. And I used to take that personally. I'm like, well, if you just tried it, but it's fine. If they only like motorcycle romance, that is absolutely fine. Um, And I need to not market to them and not spend any time trying to market to them. Um, That is so wise. And I I do want to say too, it, 
it takes a certain maturity level to hit when when you can say, okay, I can't take this personally because I I totally get you there. I've I've also uh, that was a hard one lesson for me as well, not taking it personally when you want to zig and your writers or your readers want you to zag. You zag, know what I mean? Yes. Yes. And so I'm um, look, I'm not going to say it didn't involve lots of wine and maybe food. Um, <laughs> and like, especially like 2012, 2013, 2014, when I thought readers should like everything equally, not that I liked them equally myself, but I wanted them to buy everything equally, I guess is what I want to say. And mm-hmm. so I had one book that did really well in 2014 and the subsequent book, no one liked. And I was like, what? And um, actually got a horrible review on Dear Author, the subsequent book as well. Oh, and I was like, I think it may have gotten a D. I don't know. I remember um, Beth Yarnell texted me and I was picking my son up from preschool and she's like, I'm just telling you now. And I was like, okay. <laughs> Those, <laughs> smart. Those smart. Uh, but, you know, for what it's worth, they don't really. Dear author never sold any books for me either, and I got a I got a bad review from them too. So yeah, I know. So, um, and that subsequently went its own way. But that's it's just it it was a hard lesson to learn. I mean, I would sit in my office and I'm like, I'm gonna have this wine and I'm gonna just cry and be sad. Um, and it only years later did I not take it personally. And but it was also a huge lesson. I don't know if you thought about this. I'm sure you have that. I think, I don't know who said this. Maybe it was Sky Warren. She was like, you need to stop marketing the books that don't sell as well. And that was the hardest lesson because what I wanted to do is put all my marketing dollars in books that didn't sell just so they could sell as well as the books that did sell well. It's, it's well, I mean, it's that it goes back to that analysis, the analogy of books being your children and you don't want to have favorites, right? Right. No, <laughs> these are my babies, right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I get it. And it's true that once you've written the book, you have to divorce yourself from from that and go, okay, they're a product. This is a product. It's not me. It's not a slice of me, even though we have channeled facets of ourselves. And as, as human beings, we are very complex and we have very, very many flat facets. And that's why you can write a darker, more angsty thing over here, but a funnier, lighter thing over here, because you're both of those things. Right. Uh, yeah. But obviously the readers are only going to connect with one or the other and they don't want to try the other. I don't know whether it's because they have a more two-dimensional view of who their author is or just that they... I think- Yeah, I think that may be it, though, because I think that I don't know if you went to the last Ram, maybe. And there was one author who talked about just she every time she wrote a different genre, she got a new pen name. Yep. (laughs) And I was like, huh? And she was like, well, that way people can have the cowboy and they want the cowboy and that author is cowboys. And if they want. I forget what her other thing was. If they want the other thing, then they get this author who is the other thing. And I thought it was sort of brilliant because she had she was learned she had learned faster to divorce herself from that. That that is really cool. Um, the only drawback to that is just the the sheer uh, energy it takes to maintain multiple pen names. No, it's <laughs> at the beginning of 2020. I had four pen names. I now have two. <laughs> um, because now, it was you still write those books that you wrote in those other two and you just kind of merge them or did you just kind of orphan those other two pen names they are orphans and they will never speak again and mm-hmm. it was okay because it was too much i didn't 
Okay, yes. having a couple of pen names seems cute in the beginning, but when you're like 20 books deep, the work becomes slightly overwhelming. Or at least for me, it became slightly overwhelming. Oh, uh, yeah, I, I'm right there with you. I'm, I'm actually, I, I did put out that one historical that I wrote a million years ago in another mm-hmm. pen name, but again, total orphan. She's just out there in KU. <laughs> I run a book bub on her every so often. She has a website and a, a newsletter that I do nothing with. And that's it. That's all I do. But yeah, uh, going forward, uh, I think having uh, branded, tightly branded pen names is actually really cool if you don't feel like you need to do all of the social media support for those. Right. Yes. That's the thing that really daunts me. I can barely do my own social media for my (laughs) one pen name. No, and it's overwhelming. And so people are savvier or they have better time hacks or they don't get sucked down a well or whatever. I mean, I, I log into Facebook and like, it'll be three hours later, you know? So I don't, so I don't do it because I can't manage my time. To be mm-hmm, frank. Mm-hmm. I think we, once years ago, we talked about like all the like blocks that you have to put on your computer yes. in order to just get work done. And I, st- I still have them all. I mean, I'm not kidding. And so that's, it takes a certain level of savvy, but I think the longer any of us write and a lot of us, you know, who self-publish realize what the limitations are and what the road has to be going forward. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very much so. You know, it's all, it's all a learning game, even here, you know, what, what are we about 10 years on into this? I think uh, Amazon first offered Kindle in 20. 20- Oh nine, but I think people really started to do started really picking up speed with self publishing around 2011. So we're about end right. of the first decade of this right. new era of of authors being their own publishers and being business people along with being creative. Mm-hmm. And so we're still learning these lessons and sharing them. And some pick, obviously learned them much earlier than the others. <laughs> it took so long. Like sometimes I'm like, why did it take so long? And then sometimes I think, oh, it's okay. Like, it's just okay. Cause there's no way I can go back. Um, Cause some of the mistakes, I mean, 2012, 2013, not great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, the, the, the biggest mistake is to not learn from your mistakes. And obviously you have. So, I mean, yeah. Yeah. You can't get bogged down with it. So what is it that, well, I have, okay. Many questions. What is the, let me go back. What started, what started your interest in romance? Oh gosh. Um, my interest in romance started, um, well, you know, it started when I was in my teens and I was picking up Harlequins from my, we go to visit my aunt up in Canada every other year, or actually my grandma, my, all all my family's up there. I'm half Canadian. My mom's from Canada and, Mm -hmm. uh, we go up there every other year and, for uh, part of the time, we were up there for like a month, but for part of the time, I'd stay with my elderly aunt. She's a sweet, she was the sweetest lady, absolutely mm-hmm. sweetest lady, but she loved Harlequins and she'd always have a big box by her big easy chair of all the Harlequins. They're har- always Harlequin presents. And so, of oh. course, I, you know, I'd start pouring through those. I was like 15, 16, 17 years old, reading these these hilarious um well i mean this mm-hmm. hilarious in that, in that they've changed romance has changed a lot but back in the day so much <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about 80s and it was very different back then anyway yes so i loved it but then i kind of gra- gradually uh progressed out of it for reading and when it went more sci-fi fantasy direction and actually when i started writing 
uh, really feeling the the, comp- the compulsion to write was uh, was fantasy. I was playing Dungeons and Dragons a lot with uh, my group of friends, which of which my husband and I both belong to. And I had this really cool idea for one of my characters, and I sat down to kind of write her backstory, and it it ended up becoming more novelized. Mm-hmm. And then I was writing and writing and writing it, and I I'd come home from work every day. I was a teacher during the day. And I'd come home and we were newlyweds. We didn't have a lot of money, didn't have a lot of um, of time to go out. My husband was working like 70 hour weeks. So I was home in the afternoons a lot by myself before kids and everything. And I'd Mm -hmm. come home and I'd be so motivated to write because I wanted to know what happened in the story. I mean, I didn't (laughs) know. So, you know, kind of more, much more pantsing back then. And so I'm writing and writing and writing. And then I started sharing it with my friends. And a lot of people were saying, you know, this is actually really good. You should try and get it published. And then back then, you know, of course, the whole idea of getting something published was huge. I mean, like, I yes. don't know. I do. I, internet was still young then. And I I do a little searching. And it, it looked really, really daunting. And then I thought, well, at least I should try and get some fictional, you know, uh, critiques. So I started mm-hmm. to try and join some online critiques and I wanted some local ones. And I reached out to one local one and uh, the person who ran that, her name is Jacqueline Diamond. I'm sure. Oh, she Jackie Diamond. Yeah. 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 And <laughs> she was the sweetest lady. She said, you know, our group is full, but I highly recommend Romance Writers of America. There's a chapter in Orange County. And that's when I joined RWA and it's all because of Jackie, which was so <laughs> sweet. She answered my random email and I actually got to meet her in person sweetest lady ever and I really really enjoyed that uh, OCC chapters because there we were back then it was rather a large chapter there was multi-published authors sitting at the same table as you New York Times bestsellers I made some really great friends, including you and Beth and Maggie and other people that you've mentioned in the, in the podcast. Right. And, and as I um, kept going to these meetings, I, I saw I wanted to pick up the books of the people that I knew. So I started reading their books and I fell back in love with the romance genre. Oh, okay. And that's when okay. I decided, Oh, I want to, I want to try my hand at writing a romance. And I found it was really um, actually tough it really <laughs> mad when people talk about how easy it is to write a romance and I'm like are you kidding it's it, you're writing two arcs instead of one right. you're writing two character arcs and you have to have somewhere in there where you're writing their attraction and falling in love with each other but you're also having them help they have to find a point where they're overcoming what it is that prevented them from finding love before Funny. right you know what I mean? It, it, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Cause you write, you write the genre yes. as well. So yeah. So it, it was very intriguing. It was really helping me grow as an author. And that, so that was my whole uh, journey to back to romance from where it started picking up those uh, Harlequin presents back in the day. <laughs> you know, so many of us did that. I always wonder if my grandmother had had different tastes, would I have just gone a different direction? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> but I, but I can't know. Yeah, that's hilarious. You have a similar uh, story to mine. I, I guess many of us do. You know, picking up our parents or aunts or whoever's books. Exactly. But I was like, what if she didn't like the little punishing kisses books? Like, what, what if she had read a completely different set? Would I have just been a different person? But it's, I can't change it. And I actually have all those books now. Um, I found them or when she died, I took a lot of them. And it's just they're on my shelf because it, 
it's it's the formative stuff <laughs> yes that's so cool i i wish i'd kept a few of those that would have been so cool to have just to, so you could thumb through them and go oh i remember when i read this and i was only you know i was thinking about this or whatever or i you know especially mm-hmm. when back then you're you're young you actually don't know how love works or no works or anything so you're almost reading them to teach you which is another daunting thing about writing romance is you kind of you want to present romance you know the relationship at least towards the end in a happy and healthy way so that right other people when they're reading this they know okay these are the standards that i should look for in my own relationships you know yes um well i wish i'd learned more of that but that's a different <laughs> conversation what <laughs> i just did another podcast about that where not where i was the not where i was not the host but um, I guess the other question is, do you find that you're telling like a bigger story? Um, a few months ago, sorry, 2020, um, somebody <laughs> asked me what bigger story I was trying to tell. And I had to get off, we were Zooming and I got off the Zoom and I was like, what is she asking me? What does that mean? I never thought about it. But I sat down because I had all the time in 2020 and sort of had a longer thought about what some of the overarching themes were in my books have you found that there are some themes that you come back to inadvertently or maybe on purpose um across your books um i you're uh, you're absolutely right um i've never thought about it in the terms of in that in those terms before which is really cool um the what bigger story are you trying to tell um because i have thought about things, you know, themes that I gravitate to a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but I haven't thought about it in terms of what is that big story you're trying to tell. That's really interesting. And probably now you've spurred a lot of future thought from me <laughs> going forward, much <laughs> like you did, you know, a lot of yeah. reflecting. I guess that you probably have high intellection, like. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, in fact, a lot of what you discuss sounds a lot like me i'm a i'm a number three intellection i don't know what yours is but i'm sure it's pretty up there it sounds like mm-hmm. but um so being the reflective person i am i was thinking about this a while back and how i tend to gravitate towards um stories about family about how family can be uh your biggest asset but also your biggest detriment how it can also hold you back the things that happen to you you as a family the way you learn how to deal with the world in your first relationship unit which is usually your family mm-hmm. um, and how that can either boost you forward or hold you back as mm-hmm. you move into adulthood or as you move about in the world as an adult and how we don't you know always consciously um you know realize or assimilate that so family is a big one um addiction is one that i go back to a lot in my books and i it's really odd because i don't know i you know i'm not related to anyone who was an alcoholic or 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 know a lot of people who had drug use issues or whatever but for some Mm -hmm. reason i i gravitate a lot back to that it's not usually with my actual my characters but it's usually um my characters having to deal with that with someone they loved having had an addiction and either you know and what that has done for them so that's one health sometimes I'll have 
uh, health issues in my books. I think that's because of my own personal health mm-hmm. issues. <laughs> Maybe a little bit of reflective, um, my own physical uh, issues with that. I don't know. I haven't really uh, thought, I, I mean, I'm on the process of trying to think about that a little deeper about why do I keep gravitating to these certain issues? Are they just um, really deep sources of conflict that are easy for me to kind of pull things from? Or mm-hmm. is there something deeper there psychologically? I don't know. I guess, I guess we'll have to Go ahead. <laughs> because my no, because my therapist once asked me something about this, and she was like, "She okay." My therapist is an odd duck, but all ninety percent of her clients are writers because that's what she likes. So whatever. But one of the things that she has talked about is that writers are often working through things, but they're not conscious of them working through it while they're writing. That's so interesting to me. That is, I think so. Yeah, she said it's really fascinating. And I think she represents a lot of, not represents, sorry, she's not an agent. She has a lot of um, TV writer clients. And so it, only upon reflection do people realize that they're like, you know, hitting that, you know, beating that horse over and over again because they're trying to work it out in their head. And the the addiction thing is really interesting because you'd have to think about, not you don't have to, but I, I would think about like, what is it about addiction? You mm-hmm. know, compulsion or redemption or, you know, whatever the thing yeah. would be that that represents if it's not on the nose addiction. Um, uh-huh. But that that's super interesting because I think that I often wonder if I read an author's entire body of work, other than like Pat Conroy, who I think is a little more upfront, would yeah. it like be clear that these five issues, two issues are sort of touchstones in their life that they come back to again and again, because it's the thing that they're wrestling with or that intrigues them or that they've experienced. I, I think, I think you've definitely got something there as far as, and I'd love to see uh, someone with a deep background in psychology, maybe even write a book about, about that, about creatives in general and how they feel compelled you know how they have that cliche about psychologists the the people who study psychology in college and whenever are people who have their own issues they want need to work out or whatever yes I almost wonder if that as you say that uh, people who are uh, gravitate towards certain things in their creativity are doing the same thing but just using a different medium yeah, I do. I just, it's, it's a thing I wonder, and I don't know, and I have insufficient background to ask. But the more podcasts I do and the more um, women creatives I talk to, I, because somebody asked me the question, I think I'm starting to think more about uh, careers being like an overarching sort of thing and also hitting on themes or whatever it is, often um, in an overarching way. And which may play into that whole experience idea, you know, so if I'm going to read your books, I'm going to get a experience because for whatever reason, that's what you create. And if I read Mm -hmm. author B, I'm going to get something different. And they're each unique, which is what I love about books. (laughs) (laughs) So even in romance, there are sharp differences. Yeah. uh, Such a huge variety. It's, it's really amazing. So I'm going to ask you what is coming out next. Um, I am writing two more books in my, another duet in my astronaut series next. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's what I'm working on right now. I'm also doing 
some co-writing projects under various pen names with other authors uh, for the new Kindle Vela platform. So, yeah. you know, I'll report back on that. <laughs> That's all brand new. <laughs> but is. the exciting thing is that it's kind of allowing you to write and publish in, you know, as you write a little bit, a lot like what I'm doing with my, I, I do a serial with yeah, my newsletter. Yeah. It's a prequel. So it's, mm-hmm. it's going back into the, my pre- previous characters that they know and kind of showing them before the, uh, at the, be- before the beginning of the series. That's such a great um, so idea. That's, that's so amazingly brilliant. Yeah, well, it's going to keep the readers engaged and give them a little bit of new content and keeping them opening your newsletters when I, I'm not a fast publisher. So I kind of mm. want to keep them engaged and wanting to open the newsletters while I'm working on my books. So Okay. That is so cool. So I'm so glad that you survived COVID and 2020. Um, <laughs> I am well, so no. glad you did the same. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's been so hard. Um, I'm actually traveling, so I will not see anyone, but hopefully I will see you in the fall. I mean, I don't know. I'm going to leave in a couple of weeks because I can finally leave again. Um, uh-huh. And so I bought tickets. I'm just so excited about the prospects. I haven't been on a plane in like 18 months or something. Are you going to Europe? Yes. Awesome. How exciting. But only in like a couple of weeks. Um, So, (laughs) well, I had to wait to make sure I could go, you know, so now that I know that I can go, um, I bought tickets and I'm going to leave kind of immediately. And then I won't be back for a while because it's been so long. Like I, I feel like so many things have fallen to the wayside, like business wise that I took care of on a semi-regular basis. And I need to sort of shore up everything. Yes. Um, you know, everything. And that's a list. I, I made a list this morning. But um, so maybe in the fall, I will see you again. And I assume that California will be much more open. Sometimes it looks kind of normal when I go out. And sometimes I'm like, eh, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to, to be frank. Exactly, I- <laughs> but yeah, crossing fingers. I mean, I think everybody is kind of over it. And, and, and especially the people who've, become, who've been vaccinated are ready to kind of move on and okay, we've, I've done my part. Now let's, let's get out there and do things. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <Right? laughs> so much that, so yes. much that, I mean, I, I get it. I mean, I was on, I went to the beach. So I've been biking at the beach in the morning cause I can't go to the gym and I used to go spinning. And so I've been biking at the beach at about two oh, weeks cool. ago at seven thirty in the morning. It was full. Oh wow. And I was like, I was like, Oh, people are done. I was like, okay, yeah. <laughs> nice to know. Uh-huh. Um, so it's been interesting, but I'm, I can only, well, I have great hope going forward that it's going to be much better. Cause I think that we're social animals and without that, it's been hard. Yeah. Yes, it has. Um, you know, the pandemic for me wasn't all bad. I actually discovered a lot of stuff about myself that I probably wouldn't have if it hadn't have been forced on me and mm-hmm. a lot of things about my family unit and, and being confined with just my family in this house and, and those type of things and, and finding ways to cope and, and, and enjoy life in ways that I never thought I could. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, yeah, I think we're all over it. And you know, <laughs> I've, got a, I've got a kid about to graduate and, and go across the country to college. So I'm, I'm dealing with all of that now and that emotional turmoil and, and, and stuff. So. No, I have a couple of those friends and it's hard because yes, they're always going to go away, but now you've been with them in a way that you would never have been with a teenager. And then suddenly they're like, Adam, out of here. (laughs) 
(laughs) So that's its own thing. I have an 11 year old and he still loves me and wants to be spend all this time with me. So it's, so I have a few more years before he forgets who I am. And (laughs) it just comes to me for money and food. (laughs) I am told it gets better once they hit their twenties, but yeah, for right now it's a little tough. Yeah, there's a space in there where you're like, well, I yeah. love you and I gave birth to you, but who are you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I'm kind of at that point right now. <laughs> no, I sort of, I'm going to be, can I just tell you, I I'm sort of love it in the sense that like when I visit my friends, their teenagers are delightful to me and then will turn around and be awful to their parents. <laughs> <laughs> and I always look at them, I go, well, they're clearly, you raised a delightful, like soon to be adult because they've been lovely to me. And so you just have to know that they go out into the world and they're just lovely to everybody. But when they come home, well, whatever. <laughs> that's a good uh that's a good way to look at it i think um they're just kind of over their parents at some point and i remember when i was that age too it's just again hard not to take it personally <laughs> yes <laughs> so since i'm not there i'm not taking it personally but i just think somebody's one of my friend's daughters emailed me asking me for advice about a resume or something and she was just so delightful and her mother like was texting me going this kid <laughs> <laughs> So it's just two sides and it's just, it's, well, for her, it's not fun to watch. For me, it's, it's somewhat enjoyable because her daughter really is delightful, except at home. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's universal. Yes. Um, so thank you so much for talking to me, even with the technical, whatever. Sorry about all of that. Yeah. But, I think that was my fault, but thank you for having me, Amy. It's been a, it's been lovely having this chat. I just, very stimulating conversation. No, it's so great. And I can't wait till I can see you in person again, because it's been apparently a really long time. I owe you many hugs. (laughs) Oh, my God. So many. Um, But thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Well, thanks for having me. It's been great. Take care. You too. This has been A Time to Thrill with me, your host, author, Amy Austin. If you enjoyed it, I hope you'll share, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. It will help others to find and listen to my conversations with brilliant creators. Also, please hit the subscribe button on your podcast app. In addition to hosting this podcast, I'm also the author of the Casey Court series of legal thrillers. They're available wherever books are sold, your local library, and also an audiobook. You can follow me on Instagram at ThrillerPod, find me on Facebook at Casey Quint Series, or A Time to Thrill. Thanks for listening, and I'll be back with you soon with more great conversations.